Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideNDSports.com on the Rivals Network. Spring football is in full swing. On Saturday, we'll get an opportunity to watch our first and only full practice of the spring. So we are excited to learn some things about this Notre Dame football team. But the Irish are also in the middle of a back-to-back recruiting weekend palooza on campus. So we wanted to catch up with our old friend Tom Lemming, the Benjamin Franklin of the recruiting rankings industry, to discuss how the Irish are faring. Tom, thanks for joining us. I was using Ben Franklin's phone. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let, let's start with the news of 2024 offensive lineman Anthony Knapp committing to Notre Dame this week. What are your thoughts on his addition to the class? It was kind of a surprise because they're in on a lot of the big name guys. I've been going to visit with all of them. And Notre Dame, when Harry was there, they were in the mix. Uh, Grant from uh, Iowa, the big tackle in Indianapolis, the two in Pennsylvania. They're number one guys on the ballpark out in the Boston area. So it was a surprise they would take a guy that um, is just all right right now. He'd probably be an interior guy. But uh, the other other schools down in the South took a pass at him, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, Auburn. Uh, So surprising to take a guy like that this early. So we'll see. I mean, you never know. There's always guys that develop once they get there. But Mm -hmm. the two positions Notre Dame never has to worry about are offensive line and tight end. And so they should always wait on the great players at those two positions. Tom, you're traveling, what, 11,000 miles or so? And you've uh, been to several states. I know you're out in the West right now. What kind of um, feedback, what kind of reception is Notre Dame getting when you're talking to top recruits about Marcus Freeman and the program overall? Well, you know, much better. Marcus is one of the premier recruiters nationally. Out here, matter of fact, because uh, I was a couple of coaches, um, uh, Mickens, the cornerback coach, is doing great. I think he only has one guy left now to go after, and he's got about three major candidates for that one spot. And um, Chris O'Leary's doing a very good job in free safety, going after some top prospects. And they need him at safety, too, because last year, not his fault losing uh, Mitten Bowen, because right? he had the number one guy in the country, and then all of a sudden they lost him through the NIL stuff. But also, I think um, linebacker-wise, there's a lot of great linebackers, particularly in Southern California. So Al Golden's doing a real good job, and as he always did. I knew Al back in the late 90s as a uh, GA at uh, Virginia. And he was always one of the premier recruiters. So they have to worry about him. Um, I just think now, you know, um, they got to worry about getting the great quarterback for 2025 since they've got car coming in for 2024. I don't think that'll be a problem. I think what I hear is that Gino's a, a very good recruiter. I, he was in my magazine, so I met him when he was a player, but I haven't talked to him since. And then I, I, I think the jury's still out of their O-line coach and their special teams coach when it comes to recruiting. And uh, the rest of the guys are all doing a very good job. I think another guy who's under the gun would be Al Washington. He's got to land some five-star type defensive lineman. And, and this is what I've always learned at Eric Seager was on my show right before he passed away. He said he always started with defensive linemen. Pete Carroll told me that. So did Nick Saban. And, and so did Urban Meyer. All the real successful coaches start with bringing in impact defensive linemen, and then you work from there. Uh, and Notre Dame hasn't done that. And so hopefully, um, I think Coach Washington will be able to land some four-plus or five-star guys 
and really uh, help build that defensive line. Tom, speaking of defensive linemen, Justin Scott was the headliner on campus last weekend, um, according to Rivals, a five-star defensive tackle. How big of a deal would it to be to get him in Notre Dame's class? Massive, and massive for two reasons. First, they desperately need inside help on the defensive line. But second, it would show that maybe there will be another renaissance recruiting area in Chicago. Tommy Reese at Chicago did not do a very good job over the past five, six years whenever he was there. And um, I don't remember them landing any big stars at all. Most of the kids from Chicago left. But in the past, whenever Notre Dame was great, starting with New Rockney, the Chicago area was always one they zoomed in on and made it like their local area. Marcus is doing that this year. 2024, they've offered, I think, about five guys. They already offered five for 2025. So I do think you'll see a new uh, thing. And I, if you remember when they won the last time in 88 national title, they had um, George Streeter and Sam Magala, uh, Jeff Alm, Chris Dorich, Joe Allen, Tim Graham was the backup quarterback. They had a lot of Chicago starters. And then when they almost won in 93, they had um, – Brian Hamilton, Pete Bursich, Brian Young, Oliver Gibson. They had a lot of Chicago kids starting. And because they consider Notre Dame sort of local, uh, but Notre Dame let that drift away under Coach Kelly, and they really suffered in the area. In Michigan, their starting quarterback is from the Chicago area. Uh, in um, Ohio State, they've taken the Chicago players. Wisconsin has lived off them, as has um, Minnesota, Purdue. A lot of schools, guys that are going to the NFL. Think Northern Illinois got four Chicago area players that are playing in the NFL now, so it's a great area. You just got to recruit it hard. You got to, you know, recruit the coaches, and I think they're doing that now. I know I stopped by St. Ignatius last month, and their head coach was telling me that Al Washington and Marcus had come by to uh, visit Justin Scott, spend time with the mother and the uh, coach, and I think that bodes well for the future because Marcus uh, uh, Lightfoot, who's another outstanding defensive lineman from that same class is, you know, he's got Alabama, Georgia's got a lot of offers and Notre Dame's right in the middle of it with Marquise. And then they've got another one from Simeon high school that yep. uh, for 2025 that a lot of schools are offering. So Chicago has always been very important and it made no sense to me while Notre Dame just kind of let it slide, especially losing impact players over the past uh, six to 10 years. Tom, I'm going to circle back to quarterbacks. You mentioned the 2025 quarterbacks. Notre Dame had offered three early. They offered four more on Pot of Gold Day. That was Cutter Bowley from Kentucky, George McIntyre, uh, the Vanderbilt coach's grandson, the late Vanderbilt coach's grandson Brent from Brentwood, Tennessee. We had K.J. Lacey from Saraland, Alabama, Deuce Knight from Loosedale, Mississippi, Deuce is going to be visiting very soon. Cutter Bowley just visited recently. What's your thought on those four? Who do you think would be the best fit for Notre Dame ultimately? And do you think, think they can reel one of those guys in? Well, you really hope so. Um, Cutter Boyle is really an outstanding. Look at his stats, his size, his arm strength, his confidence. I really like him. He, him and his dad drove all the way to Cincinnati to meet me back a few months ago. I was really impressed with him, enough to give him five stars. After seeing his film and meeting him in person, um, I really liked him a lot. Lacey came out to my Mobile get-together over at Mobile Christian. and Not as big, but he's still a very talented athlete. He's a great ball handler. He can run. Uh, he's got a very good arm that's not yet quite uh, as good 
or at least uh, accuracy-wise, is a couple of the other guys. McIntyre's grandfather was one of the first guys to help me back in the late 70s when he was head coach at Vanderbilt get started because most of the schools wouldn't talk. I was the only one in the business back then, so most people wouldn't talk to me, but George McIntyre really helped me. And his grandson, I stopped by uh, when I was in Nashville a few weeks, a few months ago. Really impressed. He's very tall and skinny, but he's got a whip-like arm, and he's very accurate. He's very intelligent. He plays against great competition in Nashville at Brentwood Academy. He's got big-time ability. And Deuce, uh, I do know that Mississippi State liked him, and if Mike Leach liked a guy like Deuce, although I'm not sure he was their top guy in Mississippi, then you got to think, because Mike Leach to me was the best quarterback coach I've ever come across in the past 45 years. And uh, Deuce is a very good athlete. Again, not as polished as some of the other guys that we talked, especially McIntyre and Boyle. But I think that he's got terrific upside. All these guys, Alabama now under Geno has really zoomed in on the right guys early. Another mistake Notre Dame made in the past by not offering a lot of the guys early and just letting them slow play like Caleb Williams. They never really went after him uh, and because they were already zooming in on uh, Tyler. Not to say that's bad, but to me, you got to use the approach of Ohio State and Alabama. You go after the top six to ten quarterbacks, and then you let the chips fall where they may, because they're all great players, and you're not going to get them all. But you zero in on all of them, you put a lot of them, and you're Notre Dame. You're going to get one of them almost every single year. They didn't use that approach, and that's why they always took like three stars uh, because of the uh, – uh, what it takes. It takes two full years to recruit a great quarterback. Sometimes three if you already identify them as freshmen. Notre Dame was not willing to do that in the past, but they are now under Marcus Freeman. Tom, the Smith the Smith twins are on campus this weekend, and they were on campus back in January. It seems like Notre Dame is in a pretty good spot with those guys. What are your thought? What is what's your thoughts on the talent level of the Smith twins? How important or how valuable would they be if Notre Dame could get both of those guys? You know, Tyler, when I was out in Connecticut over a year ago, I stopped by and uh, I had to look at someone else at the team, the, the big offensive tackle that went to Alabama, the kid from Finland. And then um, the coach said, hey, Tom, I got a couple of twins I need you to look at. And they looked great already. And then on film, one was a little bit better than the other, but both were big-time ball players, And they just blew up over the past year and a half since I'd seen them. But when I saw them right away, I gave them both four stars because I knew athletic ability-wise – and even though they're playing in a private school, competition level is just okay. I thought they were outstanding athletes that, with the right coaching, were going to be great players. And um, I would, yeah, I'd take them both in a split. They're just two very athletic, quick-twitch type athletes that what Notre Dame desperately needs along the defensive line. Notre Dame needs five or six guys like that every year, and hopefully they'll start doing that. Tom... The, the definitive answer to this is probably, I don't know, but as you're, again, making your travels, you're talking to all these kids personally, do you feel like NIL is a bigger, and I mean the, the icky NIL, the illegal NIL, do you feel like it's the same, a bigger or a smaller part of the decision-making proce uh, process for most kids? Sad to say it's bigger right now. I've been finding every, all the kids are talking about, it. even the kids that are coming from wealthy families, bringing it up a little bit, which is uh, for Notre Dame, not a great thing because they're not going to be doing the under the table stuff. I'm sure they'll have some above. Like 
I hear their quarterback that's coming in now from Wake Forest on his own. You know, he's making good money because he's at Notre Dame now. He wouldn't have made that at Wake Forest just because Notre Dame is Notre Dame. So Notre Dame's got great possibilities when it comes to NIL if they explore the right things to do and going after the right, uh, taking the right approach. Uh, Notre Dame could really take off with that also. And a lot of the other bigger schools, like USC is doing it, Oklahoma out here during my national travels. Colorado, under Deion Sanders when I was there last week, really pushing the NIL stuff also. Washington, Oregon is one of the leaders. That's how they were able to almost steal Peyton Bowen away from him. The negotiation between Oregon and Oklahoma was fun to watch last year. And Peyton left Notre Dame for Oklahoma after already committing to Oregon on signing day. So there's going to be a lot more of that this coming year, I could tell, talking to the ball players, But still, what Notre Dame has going for them, and they use that 4 for 40 thing, and it's, um, it's important. But also they do have to come up with a better solution for the NIL, and I think they are trying to do it uh, a little bit more. You can never top off Texas A&M or some of the schools that are maybe offering $10 million to certain players. And that's ridiculous because – it hurts team chemistry, I believe, and just my opinion, Texas A&M, that really hurt them. They lost, what, seven games last year? One of the more talented teams in the country because the freshmen coming in, according to Nick Saban, they were all bought. But then the guys on the team probably weren't bought. So then right away, that, that puts a divider between the freshman class and the rest of them. And a lot of times when you get that kind of money being tossed around only with a few players, there's going to be a lot of other ball players unhappy on the team, and I don't know if that leads to team chemistry. So there's a lot of things to look at it with the NIL stuff, and hopefully Notre Dame's athletic director will look at it a little bit closer because last year they got beat on some of their top guys because they weren't prepared like some of the other schools were when it came to NIL. Tom, taking a step back to look at what Notre Dame has put together already in the 2024 class, and I'll run through the names for you so you don't have to remember them off the top of your head. What what do you like best about this class? And and so far, Notre Dame has committed, as nine guys committed, the two offensive linemen, Anthony Knapp and Peter Jones, the two cornerbacks, Leonard Moore and Carson Hobbs, running back Aeneas Williams, wide receiver Cam Williams, tight end Jack Larson, quarterback CJ Carr, and defensive tackle, tackle Owen Wafel. What do you What do you like about what Notre Dame's done so far in this class? It's a good class. It could be even better. Let's hope they start landing the five stars. Chris Carr, I mean, Chris CJ Carr is a, is a five-star quarterback. When you watch him this year, he even got a lot better than he was as a sophomore when I saw his film. He was fantastic, particularly near the end of the year. He's a mature quarterback who, with great coaching, is going to be a great player at Notre Dame. And then um, I really like the running back out of Williams out of uh, Missouri because he's an all-around back. He reminds me of the running back at uh, Michigan, who came out of uh, St. Francis in uh, Maryland. Uh, he's, act, he's an all-around back. He's really impressive. Uh, Cam Williams is a five-star wide receiver out of Chicago, something that's different. But Coach Stuckey is an outstanding recruiter at Notre Dame. He's their best wide recruiter. I think the best wide receiver coach they've had recruiting-wise in years. And Cam Williams is a big catch for them. And also, I do think that um, – Waffle was a bit undersized when I saw him when I was out at the Hunt School, but he's a real muscular kid, a little stiff. He's got a great attitude, but he's not like the knockout guy uh, until he gets a little bit more flexibility when I, when I saw on him. Offensive line-wise, it leaves a little bit to be desired. Peter Jones is a big muscular kid, but uh, Coach Rudolph's got to keep up a great tradition that Harry Heastan had. 
Jeff Quinn was an outstanding recruiter. But at Notre Dame, offensive linemen a lot of times want to come. And um, they've had a great tradition over the years. Even their broadcaster, Ryan Harris, was an All-American out of uh, Minnesota and then at Notre Dame and uh, won a Super Bowl. And you got a guy working with me at CBS, Aaron Taylor, was an All-American. They've had, under Joe Moore, Notre Dame's had a great tradition. So I'd like to see Coach Rudolph go after the five-star tackles. Uh, the kid down in um, Charlotte, North Carolina, is, Sanders, is definitely the best in the country. He's a phenomenal kid, great grades, great personality. He could fit perfectly into Notre Dame. But you got to battle Alabama, Georgia, North Carolina, a lot of schools. Well, you're Notre Dame, so you should be battling those schools, and you should be going after the best players. If not, people wonder why they haven't won a national title. Not this staff, but previous staffs weren't willing to go after the five stars for two or three years, and that's the reason why they haven't won a national title. It's that simple, really. Uh, you got to get the impact players. And I've been doing this 45 years, and I always talk to Pete Carroll and Mac Brown and Phil Fulmer and Urban Meyer and Nick Saban, the guys I consider, and uh, Bobby Bowden, the best recruiters over those past 45 years. All of them, to a man, said, no matter how good of a coach you are, you win with impact players. Marcus understands that. Uh, if his 10 assistant coaches understand that, Notre Dame will be winning a national title in the next couple of years. Tom, the NCAA is playing around with the idea of moving up the recruiting calendar a little bit not in terms of the signing day and that kind of stuff, but in terms of how early you can contact juniors, um, maybe more, more contact overall, uh, you know, few, uh, there's going to be some fewer evaluation days and so forth, but uh, it seems like these coaches are getting out and evaluating kids early and earlier. Do you think it makes sense to have the contact, periods moved up to for coaches to be able to um you know get in touch with these kids earlier and form those relationships it makes a lot of sense to the schools that are hard working you know so they could because they're they enjoy they want it nick saban always told me he always remember that rule was passed where uh coaches couldn't talk to ball players and um coaches then were taken off the road joe paterno was one of the guys that wanted it off the road because saban would spend an hour or two saying hello because that's what I was supposed to say anyway, but he spent a lot of time with the kids and other coaches complained, but he's a hard worker and the hard workers always are the ones that have the rules pushed against them. Now this would be going the other way. So for the hardworking coaches, this would be a great rule that change. They have more time to develop relationships with the top prospects. So yes, I think that helps some schools and some schools that rather play golf and go out there and not recruit as hard, then it's not going to be uh a good rule for them. But I do think in overall, might as well, you see guys offering freshmen, sometimes eighth graders now. So might as well be able to contact them a little bit earlier. The rules are going out the window fast with the NCAA now anyway, with all this stuff going on, the NIL. Uh, what really upsets me is that somebody told me there were close to 4,000 guys in the portal a few months ago. And now what's happening is you see about a third of the high school players are not getting the scholarship they got uh, three years ago because the scholarships are now going uh, to transfers. And some of the guys are given five and six years to play college ball, and that's right. really hurting the high school kids. And that's really sad. You've seen a lot of high school kids that should have been playing Division One ball that aren't now. Either they're going to be walk-ons or they're just doing something else. And it's hurting. Overall, it's going to hurt. The whole recruiting process is going to hurt the high schools and everything else. Uh, the, 
I had lunch with John Gruden a few months ago, and John was telling me the NCAAs at fault. They should have gotten well ahead of all this stuff, NIL and with the uh, uh, transfer rules and all that, and they didn't. Um, they're, they're big when it comes to collecting money, but they're not big when it comes to doing the right thing. Tom? You know, uh, I had a chance to talk to uh, Justin Denson's coach out in Rhode Island, and he's going to go to a postgraduate situation just because of the reasons that you were talking about. Uh, he's going to go to that um, Thomas More Academy in Oakdale, Connecticut, and get a, another year of school in to help his offers, although he's been kind of hot on the recruiting trail lately. I'm sorry, Tyler, go ahead. Uh, Tom, you, you earlier you said how Mike Mickens probably is only going to be able to get one more cornerback in this class just for based on room because he already has two guys committed um, and he has a number of guys that I think Notre Dame's in a good spot with. There are two cornerbacks visiting this weekend um, that Notre Dame is interested in, Caleb Beasley, who is currently committed to Tennessee, and Aaron Scott, who is from Ohio, who I think many people think may end up at Ohio State. If Notre Dame could only get one of those two guys, which who would be the guy that you would push for? Beasley. I think Beasley's the best of the whole group that they've offered. Mickens is doing a fabulous job, too. He's already got two real good players. He's got the kid down in Jacksonville, Florida, Mitchell, who uh, he may want to get. I, I'm thinking he should take four just because you don't want to turn down a great player. And yeah, Mickens is doing so well that he's got a lot of guys looking his way. And um, But Beasley's the best of the whole bunch. I've seen them all in person and on film. And Beasley's another, Beasley's another quick twitch. And matter of fact, Trent Dilfer was his high school coach. Right. Uh, Kevin right. Maui is now, he's got two NFL uh, all pros that are had coached him in two years. And both of them told me, you know, he's just a fabulous player. And um, I did, I, Ramsey, Jalen Ramsey came out of Nashville. But when I saw Jalen, Beasley's got a little bit of Jalen in him, too. I think he's a fabulous player. I think he'd be the best guy they brought in this year. So hopefully uh, they're able to talk him into it. And he seems like a Notre Dame type kid. You know, Lipscomb Academy is a very good academic school. And whenever you get the guys from the good academic schools, Notre Dame always seems to be uh, one of the top schools that they're looking at. Tom, you were, we were talking the other day, and you mentioned there was um, a young man in Idaho, I think it's Gatlin Bear, um, that yeah, is yeah. a wide receiver. Is this somebody that Notre Dame is looking at? Is it somebody Notre Dame should be looking at? I think um, Coach Stuckey is a, a fabulous recruiter. The, the problem is, I drove, I got caught in snowstorm four days. That was one of them going from Salt Lake City through a big snowstorm to Burley, Idaho, which is at the bottom of the state. But then it was well worth it when I saw the kid and his coach. He's, he's uh, really tall. Uh, he's tall. He runs at 10, 200 meters. He took state with a 10, four, and he's got great hands, great production, a three time all stater in track and football, first team all stater. And, you know, Michigan already offered him a long time ago. Michigan does a real good job out in this part of the country. Penn State offered him, so I don't know how they – but Penn State this year is offering everybody, so uh, they're like Iowa State. You know, they just throw three, 400 scholarship offers out there. But um, hopefully Coach Stuckey will um, find him. I, I, I let Notre Dame know about him, I told Chad Bowden. And um, he's, he's a 4.0. He's never had less than an A in the classroom. Everything Stanford offered him. So, you know, everything that Notre Dame's looking for in a wide receiver, except going to Burley, Idaho, you can't really fly in there. Boise's still a couple hundred miles away. 
Salt Lake City is a few hundred miles south. So normally he went to visit Georgia that day when they saw me. And he flew back from Georgia, who I had offered him, to uh, Salt Lake City during the snowstorm. And we did get to get up in Burley. It took three hours to get. It's a three-hour drive. It takes five hours during the snowstorm. So well worth it. He's a five-star wide receiver. He is um, going to be playing in the NFL someday if he stays healthy. And he's definitely a guy that could be a go-to guy for Notre Dame. Kind of, He looks like Jeff Samarja, Jeff Samarja with speed. Okay. Jeff, I think, was a 4-6. Jeff was a 4-6 guy. This kid is a 4-3. Wow. Well, that sounds like something someone I'd want on my team. Well, Tom, that's all we have for you. We really appreciate you taking time to join us. Continue to have safe travels and try to stay out of the snow, all right? I'm definitely going to try to stay out of the snow, and you guys take care. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at ND. First one I have for us, Eric, is from at Charles W. Wolf. Is there anything that needs to happen in the spring to put ND on a path for a playoff run? Well, I would say it's more about what happens in August. I think spring is for impressions and fall camp is for conclusions. But in general, I think what they're looking for in the spring, besides install and chemistry and those kind of things, is in fundamentals, is determining if there's more help needed from the portal. So that that's going to be important. Um, and I think it would be good if we saw a, a defense that, found some consistent success against the run and that's able to bring some pressure. I think there are questions about whether the front can accomplish those things offensively and more dynamic and able to function at a higher level in the marquee games. You know, there's times when Notre Dame is equal in talent to, or, or, or have the advantage in talent and they can win those games. And then they go up against a team that's equal or better in talent than them. And, it's a different story and and they're going to have teams like Ohio state and, and Clemson and USC back on the schedule this year. And so they're going to have to win two out of those three games to get into the playoff without losing a Marshall type game along the way. So those would be the things I guess I would say would be key in the spring. Yeah. And, and, most of these things aren't, like you said, they're not going to be solved in the spring. They're working towards solutions for these things that we believe that Notre Dame needs to do in the long run to best improve. Um, I Some of the things that I wrote down were offensive guards need to emerge, like who, and not just like have answers there, but have guys that can really move guys around at those positions. Um, the wide receivers and Sam Hartman gaining confidence in one another. I think that's important. And, from everything we've heard that seems to be occurring. Um, I think Notre Dame's defense needs to find more playmakers. Benjamin Morrison can't be the only one, only one forcing turnovers. Uh, so that Notre Dame needs to get that done. And I think the defensive line needs to start showing that it's it, it can be a unit that isn't going to have a ton of drop-off from last season because that's probably one of the biggest concerns going into this next season. All right. Next question we have is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. Which one player on offense, not named Sam Hartman, and one player on defense needs to have a big breakout in the spring for Notre Dame to have a chance to make the playoffs slash win a championship? On offense, I'm going to go with Tobias Merriweather. And why I say Tobias is, you know, he is right now lining up 
as the field receiver, meaning the guy that has, if you're trying to cover him, there's, there's the most space. He's on the side of the field where you're not into the short field. You have all kinds of field for the corner and the safety to have to deal with him. If he can take the top off a defense, it makes everybody else on the offense better. So Tobias sophomore receiver would be my pick there. And as Tyler mentioned on Twitter today, he's getting a lot of mentions from his teammates. So that's a good sign on defense. There's a few different people I could pick there. I'm going to pick Jordan Batello because he can, he certainly has the pass rush ability. He's going to have to show that consistently, but he's also going to have to be in every down defensive end. He's going to have to set the edge against the run and become a really good run stopper. In addition to being um, a guy that can rush the passer and hit people as hard, you know, so hard that they're hit into next week. He's just got to be consistent with his play um, besides just being a really difficult person to block. Yeah, I uh, I had Mayweather as my answer for offense as well. I, I'm not sure that there's really anyone that's close. I mean, maybe there's a, maybe it could be a different receiver that could have that kind of breakout, but I don't there isn't one that seems as obvious um, to me as someone that can make a, as big of a difference as a receiver um, than Tobias Merriweather on defense. I'm in the same boat in terms of a pass rusher. It doesn't have to be Botello. I don't, not necessarily. I mean, if it ended up being junior Tui Halamaka, like great, whatever, who cares? It doesn't matter who the player is. It just needs to be someone that can get after the quarterback, whether that's Jordan Botello, junior Tui Halamaka, Javante Jean-Baptiste and in reality they probably need all multiple of those guys to be able to establish themselves and have have big breakouts in the spring to 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 build towards the defense that they want to become going into next season next question is from the insider lounge LDL go Irish we are all hopeful that this year's team will have more balance on offense with a better overall passing game with the running game for next year what will be different blocking schemes with the O-line, uh, blocking schemes with a question mark. With the O-line we have and the backs returning, will we see a more Wisconsin-like inside running game showcased? Will there be more jet sweeps? Does Michael Carmody at guard suggest more polling guard blocking? You know, I don't even know when we see the full practice Saturday if we're um, going to be able to decipher all those things. Uh, if we are, um, then certainly the teams that Notre Dame plays early in the season when they're a blind date will be able to decipher them too. And just hearing Jared Parker talk, um, I don't know that they really feel like the running game is the part of the offense that needs to change. What what I do think is that um, because the passing game is going to be better and because the quarterback play is going to be better, I don't think you'll see them running into as many loaded boxes. I think it's going to be really tough for teams to say, well, gee, uh, let's put an eighth guy in the box and dare Sam Hartman to beat us. Uh, I think Notre Dame has the quarterback and probably the wide receivers from what we've seen, you know, through a third of the spring practices that, that that's going to be an iffy proposition for teams to try to do. So I wish I had some more specifics, Tyler. It's a former offensive lineman, so maybe he's got a more nuanced answer. 
Yeah, I mean, I would say they're more guesses than like like Joe Rudolph is telling me what the running games are, or I guess Dylan McCullough, since he's the run game co- coordinator now, of what what they're going to do different differently in the running game next season. Um, my guess would that we're we're not going to see a ton of different schemes, but but we'll see different frequency in the in the schemes that they've used in the past. Um, maybe some more outside zone, more pulling. I don't I don't know if that'll be true or not. Um I like linking the Carmody thing to that. I I the Carmody thing in my opinion is more about giving the experienced guys the first chance in the spring. Um when you're a new coach like why would you come in and just say hey sorry Michael Carmody I don't I don't care what you're going to do uh, <laughs> or that you have experience I'm going to put Billy Shrout in there right away. Um so we we have no idea that or we don't believe strongly at this point that Michael Carmody will actually be a starting guard next season. Not that he can't, but um, there's work to do there. It wasn't that the, the, the competition has been settled to this point. Um, I do think like duo will probably still be a a big part of Notre Dame's offensive running game. Maybe not to the extent that it was in the past. Um, But like I've, I've watched some of the offensive line drills and they have not been significantly different, at least on the days that we have, I mean, we're talking about a small window. We've, we've been to two practices. Um, maybe we would see more jet sweeps if Chris Tyree is playing in the slot more. I, I don't feel like there, there was already a fairly decent number of those, um, though they weren't always successful. And sometimes on third down and short <laughs> when people didn't want them to be called. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we haven't seen enough yet. I, I would feel, I would feel more comfortable having like firm, more firm answers. Uh, about this after we see practice on Saturday we actually get to see some live action um the last time we were in there as we were being escorted out is when they started doing some like 11 on 11 running game stuff <laughs> which is very sad uh because I that was what I would have liked to stick around to see but hopefully we get to see some some of that stuff on Saturday next question is from Sammy Kranz at S Kranzam with all the Al Golden talk about what he likes about the defense, should we expect the same old linebacker play with them thinking too much and not flying to the ball? Tired of all the NFL style play calling and teaching. I'm got hung up on a little part of your question, Sammy, and that's tired of all the NFL style play calling and teaching. I think whether it was a high school coach, a college coach, or a pro coach that replaced Marcus as the defensive coordinator, there was going to be a steeper learning curve just because there's only five guys on the whole roster. Now this will change this year, but up until now that have played for the same um, defensive coordinator two years in a row, and that's um, Cross and Nana and the three linebackers. And the three linebackers have also had three different position coaches You've been in three different schemes. So I don't know that it's an NFL issue that, that you have. So I have a, a hard time answering that part of it. What I um, what I will say, I think the essence of your question is about linebacker play. I think the guys that are starters will play better. I think they, they certainly have the capacity in, to improve. But I think they'll be pushed by the younger linebackers. And there may be even a a more equitable timeshare rotation. You know, Maris Leofow led the whole defense in snaps last year, and, and J.D. Bertrand was 
third. And then there was a huge drop off down to Jack Kaiser because he came off the field a lot nickel. And then fourth was Prince Collie, and he was way below that. So what you might see is a little bit more Nolan Ziegler um, subbing in or rotating in for J.D. Um, Jalen Sneed having a role at Rover, whether it's a pass rusher or a coverage guy. And then I think Collie and Leofow will play more equitable snaps this year. It, it seems like, I mean, what I'm anticipating is that the linebackers will be more involved in pressure this year than they were last year. And you think about the best blitzers on the team at this point. Um, I mean, it seemed like J.D. Bertrand got home a lot. I think you can think of Collie as a good blitzer, and I think you can think of Jalen Sneed as a good blitzer. Uh, you know, I certainly anticipated Maris being good at that. It didn't seem like he could get home. Uh, and again, that's something maybe he could change this spring. But I think overall, you have a lot of choices. You have a lot of depth. There's no reason to think that the linebacker play won't get better. Yeah, I I, I feel like I've been cast and I've put myself in the role of like linebacker defender on our, on our podcast or YouTube shows. Um, to me, like, I think J.D. Bertrand does fly to the ball. Do, do, do you agree with me when I say that, Eric? I do. I mean, the guy has a chance to be, and I mentioned this in a story, the, the first, I mean, the fourth ever player to lead Notre Dame in tackles three years in a row. Yeah, I do think he does. I do think he has some limitation, but the guy flies to the ball. That's not one of his limitations. Yeah, uh, and I, I mean, I don't know, like, who who specifically the question, like, that's that's my issue with the question. It's like, why are we casting the entire linebacker position as someone that can't do these things? Which um, I would I would say Maris didn't fly to the ball like I thought he would. I think Jack Kaiser flies to the ball. He's incredibly productive when he's on the field. Um, now, do they always make the play? No. Um, I have more confidence in J.D. Bertrand making the play at the point of the attack than I, than I do Jack Kaiser at times. Um, but... I don't know, like, yeah, J.D. Bertrand, I looked up his stats. He had, he had eight and a half tackles for loss last year, and he started 10 games. He missed, you got to remember, he missed all those halves from, from his targeting penalties. Um, so he was averaging almost one tackle per loss per start. That's a pretty decent total, in my opinion. Now his tackles did drop from 101 to 82. Um, playing a different position. Playing a different position. Um, I think he was probably put in a position to make more tackles in his previous season than last season. Um, so I, 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 so I'm I'm not exactly sure how much the scheme was to blame for what Sammy Kranz isn't uh, pleased by. Um, I do think that Al Golden has learned some lessons from last season, um, and will be paring down some of the things. And um, obviously, it helps that so many of these guys who will be asked to contribute were on the team last season um, and have experience with everything that was thrown at them. And Prince Cali spoke to being feeling more comfortable in those things. Um, so I think, um, there's, there's definitely room for improvement for sure. Um, but I don't know that now maybe Al Golden put too much on their plate and, and has learned from that. But, uh, I think a lot of the things that were being applied at the NFL level can be applied at Notre Dame. And, um, maybe it just didn't work to the, to the extent that you would have liked it to this past season. Next question is another one from Marie Biafore. Which 
position group on each side of the ball are you the most concerned will be the biggest weakness this year? I have less and less concern about the wide receivers. I guess if you match them all up with the other position groups, they're still the ones with the most question marks. I guess the biggest question mark for them is, will they continue to improve and will they be able to do this under the bright lights instead of just inside the um, Irish Athletic Center? But they've been improving. If If that's the most questionable position group on offense, I would expect the offense to have a good year. On defense, the two position groups I have questions about the most are defensive line and safety. Um, and I think that each of those may end up getting a portal addition as well. So that might help things. Um, I think I'll I'll know a little bit more after Saturday, Saturday's open practice, but those would be my answers right now. Yeah, I'm in agreement on on the defensive side. I would lean more towards defensive line than safeties at this point, but I I definitely understand the possibility and the concern at the safety level. Um, offense, I went with tight end. Um, I don't. I I think they can be fine. I think they can be good even. Um, but your your numbers there are short at the for the time because of injuries. But you're also talking the guys that are injured are, have been repeat injury offenders (laughs) so it's not like you could say well for sure there's not going to be any issues with those guys next year and um even Mitchell Evans has dealt with injuries um and so that would be my I think that is the position that maybe has the greatest chance to be the weakness um now how much will that impact a team I I think Notre Dame could be fine if its tight ends aren't great like I don't know that if the wide receivers progress at the rate we think they can um, and if the running game can be as good as it can be, then I don't know that that's going to be um, a huge loss. Like Sam Hartman, I don't know that he was known for throwing it to his tight ends. I think he did fine without having star tight ends at Wake Forest. Um, so I think the offense can be fine with that, but that would be the position. And then, and then, I mean, being specific on the offensive line, those guard spots, if those guys don't ascend, that could be a problem too. Um, for for as good as your tackles are, if your guards aren't getting the job done, it's going to make things a lot a lot more difficult. Um, next question is from Patrick at P Birkin. When we host Ohio State, will there be more green or red in the stands? How does ND prevent a sell off of so many tickets, similar to what happened with Georgia and Cincinnati? How do you prevent it? Don't sell your tickets. Um, that's pretty simple. You know, you can't in a free market you can't prevent those ohio state fans from getting those tickets if that's what they want you know somebody asked me about that in the live chat recently and i don't know that there will be as much of a demand as uh georgia and clemson for example because georgia had never played up here clemson i mean it had been a long time other than during the pandemic, which they weren't allowed to come. Uh, you know, Ohio State's been here. They played each other in a couple of bowl games in recent years. But those Ohio State fans love to travel. They like to take over visiting stadiums. So they'll be here. Um, but if you're concerned about it, tell your friends that have tickets not to sell them or make sure that those people have no scarlet and gray um, in their closet. Yeah, the the Clemson game this past season was, I feel like, an improvement from some of those situations that we've seen in the past. Um, and 
I believe if my recollection is correct last year, when it came to single game tickets that were available, you couldn't buy Clemson single game, single game tickets. You had to buy tickets to another game. So it dro- drove the price up and that would then the, therefore would cut into your ability to make profit off of reselling those tickets. Um, but I think, I think you, my guess is like the bigger resell market is the guy, the, the ticket season ticket holders that some, that sometimes want to make back some of the money that they're investing in their season tickets or, folks that are in the ticket lottery. Um, so I think a lot of it just sort of, sort of comes down to the willingness of the fan base to, to have some pride in not selling their tickets to Ohio state fans. Like I, that, I, it, I think it's like two sides of this like argument. It's like, well, everyone has a role in this. So, but like, I think in the end, like the people who have the tickets in their hands are the ones that can prevent the things from happening. And so like, stop selling your tickets. Uh, but there's too many people that want to make a buck or they want to show like, it's like their way of getting back at Notre Dame for charging them too much money for their tickets. It's like, well, just don't buy the tickets. Let another Notre Dame fan buy them. If you don't want to be the one that buys the tickets or you're, you're displeased with the, the ticket access or the ticket prices. Next question is from Mark on Apple podcast. Mark has a uh, review that we will get to at the end of the podcast. So I wanted to include the question that he included with his review. Um, Mark says, I have a request as someone who played other sports in high school 34 plus years ago, but never played organized football, I'd be interested in knowing what a typical practice is like for various positions. I hear about taking reps when I played basketball, baseball, and soccer, there was constant action during practice in one way or another. So I'm not really familiar with what taking reps means. Do some players who aren't starting or beyond the two deep, just stand around for a large part of practice. Curious to know how all that works. Now we we can certainly go much in depth about all the different positions, but I figured we could at least go sort of speak to this to a broad broadly about sort of what like a football practice looks like and what um, how this is what they're referring to when they're talking about this. Right. Well, um, just very broadly, Notre Dame has three practice fields, one inside, two outside. When the weather's good, they use all three of those. They they spread people out. When it's not good weather, which has been so far in the spring, they've been inside and they all kind of get crowded, but they're all doing different things during the early period. They start with uh, kind of what they call advanced stretching. Um, and then you break into position groups where you're doing drill. So everybody that's healthy is doing the drill. You're in a line, you do a drill, then you do a different drill. Uh, then as the practice progresses, Sometimes you get into competitive periods where a couple of um, a couple of position groups are working together, like the wide receivers and the quarterbacks, or the offensive line versus the defensive line, doing some drills. And and again, generally you want to work everybody through those. Where you have people standing on the sidelines and not participating is when they get into team periods. You get into scrimmage periods. And so it's just like a regular game uh, and that you can only have 11 people on the field at a time and they'll rotate people in and then different people are standing and watching practices. You also have some special teams periods where there are people on the sidelines watching uh, and making noise when the field goal kicker, you know, miss it Noonan, you know, when they're trying to kick a field goal um, or field punts and so forth. So. I hope that's a good overview of it. But I mean, having played those sports at a much lower level, um, 
I, I mean, I understand in basketball, we're always moving and baseball has some drills. I mean, infield and stuff, but, but you're more functioning as a team. The football does break things up a little bit more and, and yeah, there is more standing around. Yeah, I think when people talk about reps, it's usually talking about the team portion of practice, too. Like, everyone gets a chance to go through the drills. It's not like only the starters run through the drills when they do individual periods. Um, so I think that that's what they're talking about and sort of how you broke it down. Like they, And the percentage is usually skewed towards the number ones and twos will probably have more snaps than the, the third-string guys. And then when you get to the season, most of those third-string guys are going to be scout team players. And so um, – Whereas like during camp or during the spring, you are having those 11 on 11 periods. And there's just one of those, like there's one field that's having football being played on it. And there's guys standing around during the season, they will be split up. Their defense is on one field going against the offensive scout team. And then on the other field, the offense is going against the defensive scout team. So you, so you have more people involved, although you're not necessarily, if you're a third stringer, you're not getting reps, you're out there, um, running someone else's defense or running someone else's offense. So it is different. You're still, you're still active. It's not like you're having an easy day at the office or something like that, but you still are, are, are out there running around and doing things, but it is um, at least in the team portion of practice. Um, that's, that's usually what people are talking about when they're talking about reps. All right. Uh, next question is from SJB 75 on the insider lounge. What's a fair timeline to expect coach Shrewsbury and the Notre Dame men's basketball team to be named as a seed on selection Sunday. I've read in this forum, it will take four to five years for this program to be competitive again. Do the two of you agree with that? I don't. Um, I think Micah showed in a couple years at Penn State that he was able to get them up and running now is Penn State, was Penn State as beaten down as Notre Dame was? No. Um, they had had a... Uh, coach that was fairly successful that was asked to leave and resigned and then they had an interim coach and then Micah came in and they went from 11 wins to 14 and then 14 them to more than 20 this year made the tournament um he did a really good job of building his team he had um a grad transfer his first year that went on to be an all-american and then key this year in taking that next step was the best recruiting class Penn State had ever had, a top 30 class of five players, and then three grad transfers. All the transfers from the portal were, were grad transfers for them, and that helped supplement what he was building. Um, they had put together another really good recruiting class behind that for next year. It's interesting because there's a very good chance at least two of those guys are going to end up on this team, one of them is um, Calvin Booth's son, Kerry Booth, certainly um, the younger Shrewsbury Braden, uh, Coach Shrewsbury's son, Braden, who's a senior at um, in State College, Pennsylvania, got his team, I think, to the quarterfinals of the state tournament. He's going to be there. I mean, maybe all three of them will be here. And then I think he'll be pretty good with the portal. I'm not saying that next year they're going to be good. But if they can hold on to players like Van Lu or um, Lubin and and uh, Zona, and uh, you know, I know Marcus Burton loves him, uh, the freshman that's coming in. I think they'll be more competitive next year than maybe 
uh, people realize. And then I think, you know, in year two, year three, we expect to see improvement, but I don't think it's going to be four or five years. I think if Bray had stayed, maybe it was a four or five year rebuilding job because there just wasn't anything new and exciting about the program. Yeah. I don't think it has to take that long. I think, I mean, I think if it it would be fair to give him that long, say, say it doesn't work out in these first few seasons. Like I wouldn't be like, all right, this isn't going to work long-term, but by my expectation, if you had maybe like, guess when Notre Dame would make the tournament, I would say by the third season that they'll have made the tournament at least once. Um, like you mentioned, he made the tournament in his second year at Penn state and Penn state had been better as of late, but they hadn't been to the tournament since 2011. So it's not like Penn state was, it was this basketball program that was easy to, sort of put into the tournament. Um, so the ACC is in a very weird situation where they're, they've had some tournament success, but it, during the season, they don't get a lot of respect. And I don't know, I mean, I, some, I saw someone, uh, it might've been Connor O'Neill from our, who covers Wake Forest and Duke Forest at, at Rivals had sort of tweeted out like the first team all ACC and it's not it's not exactly a, like a who's who of college basketball, which it usually is. The ACC is sort of considered that. So they're, the ACC has sort of lacked for star power as of late. I'm curious if – I mean, that can be very cyclical. It can, be, it can change from one year to the other, especially with programs like Duke and North Carolina who can have a lot of these one-year wonder kids that are um, freshmen one-and-dones that will, will be in the NBA after a year's time. Uh, so I think it'll be interesting to see how – Notre Dame can improve and how quickly and how they can compete in a conference that's in a bit of a weird situation right now. Um, but it, it all signs indicate that he, I mean, he's going to, like, I know pe- people were like, well, they just need bodies. And I, I think that's a fair like question. Was, I feel like it was more of a joke than like a actual like problem there. Like they weren't going to be having tryouts to to fill out their roster on campus. I think uh, Micah Shrewsbury is going to get after it and, and get guys done. And it's, I know people were worried. It's like, well, how much longer can they wait to get a coach? It's like, well, listen, everyone's still, there's still guys entering the portal. I, today, the big news was Hunter Dickinson out of Michigan entered the portal. I, uh, like, I don't, I don't know that Hunter Dickinson's leaving Michigan to go to a place like Notre Dame, but um, there are, there's plenty of talented guys out there that, that Micah Shrewsbury can target um, and, and put together a roster. Um, but I, I do think it's hard to pitch from his position, like, Hey, we're going to be in the tournament next season, just based off of where they're, where they're coming from. But um, if you can get enough of those guys together and convince each other that, Hey, if us four come in another name, then maybe we can be a tournament team. So we'll, we'll see how, how quickly that gets turned around. But he seems to be the kind of guy that, that can do that quicker than maybe some others. Yeah. And just a point of information, the portal is open until May 11th, except for graduate students that closes on May 1st for basketball. All right. Next question is from Dom Valella. I'm not sure it could be Vieja. Um, how to say the last name? Uh, D underscore Vieja. At his press conference yesterday, Coach Shrewsbury, Shrewsbury talked about his staff. Any word on who his assistant coaches will be? We know um, Adam Fisher is not going to be one of them because he just got the Temple job. Um, just from what I had been reading and hearing, it seems like maybe one of the assistants were coming. It seemed like there was going to be some opportunities for some other people to step in and uh, have a little bit different coaching staff, but we know definitely know Adam Fisher is not going to be one of them because I know your, your question wasn't who's not going to be on it, <laughs> uh, 
but he was a Penn State assistant that landed the Temple job. Yeah, and the new Penn State coach, Mike Rhodes, brought a lot of his coaches from VCU, so I, it's not clear that many, if any, of the former Penn State assistants with Shrewsbury would stay at Penn State. Um, Aki, I'm not sure if it's Aki or Aki, I'm not sure how you say his first name, Collins, uh, has ties with Shrewsbury going back to when he was a uh, um, at Marshall. Um, so I, my hunch is that he follows him, I believe as well. Director of recruiting, Brian Snow will be following him to South Bend, um, as well. Um, and we'll see sort of how, how else those guys come together. There's some of those guys that are in different roles, whether it's director of player development or assistant to the head coach that, that have had, that are, that were more tied to, um, Micah Shrewsbury than they were to Penn state themselves. Um, even video coordinator Grady Eifert, who is Tyler Eifert's younger brother, was a, a basketball player at Purdue. Um, so w- we'll see what that comes together. I, 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 we don't, I don't have all the answers in terms of what the full staff is. I don't. <laughs> there's been a lot of the different things going on at once, and I don't know that men's basketball assistant coaching hires is the best way for us to spend our time trying to track down information on. Um, but we will keep folks updated when things sort of come into clearer picture there. I know somebody that's in college basketball coaching that wants one of those jobs because I heard from him. <laughs> All right. And it's not me. No, I'm kidding. Um, the last question we have is from Nathan Reynolds at Enforcers2117. When it comes to Tyler singing Taylor Swift or Eric rapping Eminem, which one of you are the Sam Hartman, the sure thing, and which one of you is Tyler Buckner, has potential and could surprise us? I'm going to let you answer that first because I think my answer will surprise you. <laughs> um. Well, it's funny. I, I think you you mentioned like Eminem on our it was like our, was our YouTube show this week. The football never sleeps. I don't, yeah, I think, because I said you only get one shot. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, the one Eminem <laughs> rap. Um, I am not a good singer. Um, but when it comes to Taylor Swift and my familiarity with the music, I I, I would like to think I could bring the energy there. Um, so uh, I think Eric would have the easier assignment, although probably not for him. I feel like I would be better rapping Eminem than he would, uh, just because of my familiarity with the lyrics as well. Um, so I would say, I would say that I, I'm more of the sure thing than Eric is in in this with the potential to surprise. Because I, I think you rapping Eminem would probably be more surprising than me rap singing Taylor Swift. It's not like you're like a known Eminem fan, right? No, but, but I mean, my kids were in that age group, and I heard a lot of rap in the car, including <laughs> Eminem, uh, while we were driving to school and so forth. So I am familiar with a lot of his lyrics. But here's what's going to really shock you two things. One is when I was in college, I used to write song lyrics. My friend Pearson. Buell and I, now usually they were parodies of songs. (laughs) We actually wrote a song about our cook at our fraternity who was beloved. It was called the Winnie Boogie. And it was to um, the song Let's Groove Tonight. It's up the instrumental version. We wrote lyrics to that. Um, And then the other thing was I was in singing competitions that we won. (laughs) And that's stunning probably for a lot of people to believe now. To put it in proper context, there was like 30 other people in those groups. They were <laughs> choirs. It wasn't me doing a solo. Right. But but I didn't ruin it enough to make them get in second place rather than first. 
Yeah, I think it would. I think it would come down to song choice. I'd have to th- sing some sort of Taylor Swift song that wasn't incredibly difficult. Anti-hero, <laughs> which was um, on The Voice the other night. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, the good news is that neither of you, no one has to hear us do either of those things. <laughs> you can just stick to listen That's to us do podcasts and YouTube or our, shows. Our uh, our ratings will go down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't want to take our ratings in the off season. All right, that's it for today's episode of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with whoever does your taxes. We want to get to 100 ratings on Apple Podcasts in 2023 and would love to get there by the Blue Gold game. We are up to 96 ratings currently and received a couple new reviews since our last podcast. One from Mark in North Carolina, Michigan, who submitted the question we discussed earlier. Mark's review is informative podcast with a combination of detailed interviews and honest, somewhat folksy and enjoyable answers to listeners' questions. One of three Notre Dame football podcasts I listen to regularly that maintains a combination of professionalism and easygoing wit. What do you think about us being folksy, Eric? I think he's probably talking about me. <laughs> uh, and the That's other probably re- a nice way of saying there's an old guy on it. <laughs> the other the other review we had was from Irish Tom, 11783. Inside Indie Sports Podcast is a must-listen for any Notre Dame sports fan. Insightful analysis, engaging discussions, and comprehensive coverage of all things Notre Dame sports makes it top-notch. So thank you, Mark and Tom, for the kind reviews. Much appreciated. Um and uh, if you've got this far on the podcast, I hope you don't need those those reviews to be encouraged to listen. But it does help us for people that are checking out the podcast for the first time on Apple Podcasts and see the reviews that you guys are leaving. Uh, we hope to have a podcast every week through the Blue Gold game. So we'll be back more regularly than we have been in the last month here. Um, we will be, have a new recruiting writer joining us next week, Charleston Bowles. I don't know when we'll get him on the podcast, but he will definitely be writing for us. Um, and that will make it easier for us to be able to record more more podcasts uh, moving forward. Um, we're and, still and doing. The chances are he's a better singer and rapper than both of us. Uh, yes, I would. I would probably guess so. Um, I although we didn't. That wasn't part of our interview process, so maybe we should include <laughs> that next time. Uh, we are still doing our weekly football never sleep show on YouTube, so you can find us there as well. I did upload the show into our podcast feed last week when we didn't have a podcast, so. I'd love to know if folks are interested in me continuing to do that. It doesn't require a ton of effort on our end to make that happen. So we're trying to figure out the best way to do that. I mean, we would like to the people we would like to draw people to our YouTube page rather than the podcast feed, but I don't know sort of what sort of overlap there is. I know just based on some of the questions we get, people definitely do tune into our YouTube show as well. Um, But we'll try to uh, get that to you if that is something that you're interested in. So please tweet at us, tell us on our, on the message board, um, if that's something you would like to like us to continue to do. Uh, that's all for today. Until next week, stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs. <laughs> <laughs>